This is the Crime Board Podcast. With Sam West. Hello and welcome to the Crime Board Podcast, a podcast dedicated to all things crime fiction. First of all, I want to say a massive thank you to all the support. It's been very, very much appreciated. Um, yeah, it's been a ride, quite a journey in the past six episodes, and I'm really glad that you're all tuning in to listen. So yeah, once again, massive thank you for that. So tonight's guest is someone I've been really excited to have on the show, and of course, he has very kindly agreed to join me. Crime author Graham Bartlett, how have you been? I've been very well, thank you, Sam. Thanks for inviting me. I'm, I've been ex- as excited as you are about this uh, about this podcast. I'm, I'm and congratulations on getting you off the ground too. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so yeah, obviously, massive honour to have you on. Um, so before we get to the good stuff, um, I'd like you to have a quick look around you. Oh, using only the objects available to you where you're currently sitting. What would be your go-to murder weapon? My go-to murder weapon would be. Um, ba, 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 ba. my glasses case I think Ooh. <laughs> because what I would do with my glasses case is that I would uh, I, I would fill it with stones uh, and I would I, I would use it as a club and then I would get rid of the stones and then it would just return to be my glasses case and who's ever going to suspect <laughs> a a, a, a a grey-haired, middle-aged bloke's glasses case as a murder weapon. So that, that's my that's my murder weapon of choice. And now you've asked me that, I think I might write a book about that. <laughs> yeah, I think you'd be surprised, to be honest. <laughs> I mean, now, now that you've told me, I'm going to look at everyone's glasses cases suspiciously. Yeah, too right, yeah. <laughs> right, okay, but you've kind of cheated there, right? Because I said where you're sitting, and you don't have stones where you're sitting, unless uh, you do. Well, true, yeah, okay. So we well, yeah, I might be, you don't know, actually. Well, so you'd have to go I'd outside. Have to go outside. <laughs> yeah, okay, well, maybe I'll put my stapler in there, because that's quite weighty, maybe that. Uh, there we are. Sorry, but what up catching me out on that? (laughs) (laughs) I suppose you could use both. (laughs) Use one to knock them out, and the other one to smash their head in. (laughs) This is quite getting... How long would we go? Two minutes, three minutes? Getting quite violent already. (laughs) Yeah, well, that's uh, that's what we do. (laughs) We do it on the page anyway. We might as well do it on on, on the air. (laughs) Get it all out there. Yeah. I must say, uh, your books are are quite... um, quite graphic quite violent as it is so um that's a good start (laughs) (laughs) so yeah so you and i um well i've had the absolute privilege of working with you on my own novel uh a year ago it feels like longer than a year now but um yeah it was a year ago (laughs) it must have been (laughs) and hopefully get it out there sam get it out there yeah, it's coming. I'm I'm just so particular. I'm like, this not right, that's not right. <laughs> um but yeah, hopefully uh, many more to come as well. Very excited to work on the next one with you as well. Um when we eventually sort our well when I eventually sort my 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 head out because <laughs> it's yeah, it's really stressful getting something out, but I at some point it just has it's to go. Not easy. It's not easy. I've got no, you take your time. 
You're very, you're a very good writer. So the public have oh, got a you. lot to be excited about when your books come out. Oh, I hope so. Um, yeah, it's scary. I think it's just because you've spent so much time with it. It's essentially, as I said last week, it's your baby, and at some point, obviously, you have to let that go. But I, right now, obviously, I mean, it's gone out to. I've had readers already with that, just to, to you know, double check and all of that stuff, uh, story wise. Um, and that was okay, but I think actually getting out to the world for the first time is really scary because you just don't know what to expect. And you've spent so much time with that in your own head, you know, that actually putting it out there is oh, it's terrifying. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it is. It is. And, and it isn't until you get that very first reader that comes back and tells you that it's, that it's good, hopefully, that, um, that, that you really start to, you know, you start to believe in yourself and it, it's hard and, and, you know, I, I do hope people people recognise that who read that that you know these things don't just kind of fall on the page. Oh, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. It is. It's really hard. Um, it's a struggle. On on the one hand, it's a struggle, but on the other hand, I think if you're actually doing something because you love it and it's your passion, and you cannot not put that story out there, I think um, it becomes something that is absolutely amazing to do as well because you're so excited to get that story out there i mean fair enough you yeah. might be scared but it's the kind of story that just cannot stay locked away i think inside of you um even if you're just writing for yourself i think as well is it's really cool no I, th- I i i think you're right and i think providing you can be um honest with yourself that it you know it's, it's the very best book that you can possibly write then you shouldn't have a lot to be to, to be worried about because you know, we're all our own worst critics, and and you know, if we if we've got any doubt at all about our books, then 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 we go back and fix it. Uh, you know, almost too much. You know, I mean, I, I would never read one of my published books because I know I'd find stuff in there that I desperately wanted to to change. But you know, I think if we once we once we think no, in the point of publication, that is the best I can possibly do, and you know, I'm really happy with it. Then that's your job done, and and, and you need to kind of. You need to let your baby go at that point. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> as, as hard as it is, I think, yeah, your, yes. your baby needs to go, needs to go make friends yeah. <laughs> out in the exactly. big world. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. And hopefully come back with a sequel and uh, hopefully, see, well, I suppose it depends on what you're writing, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, certainly come back with another book, whether it's a sequel or whether it's a standalone. I was talking to an author yesterday about about standalones and she only writes standalones. And I, I said, how can you do that? Because... You have to you have to you have to invent ca- characters are new every time and mm. worlds are new every time. Oh, and yeah, yeah. <laughs> like just like I have to <laughs> I have to milk the ones I've got t- till they're absolutely dry, and then I might think about another one. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, I gosh, that's actually a discussion I had uh, with one of my my close friends, uh, Claire Lads, who was uh, our very first uh, guest on the show. Um, she writes standalone thrillers, and she does them so brilliantly. And I just, I could never, because I, yeah. I told her, um, I did, I entered uh, Bloody Scotland's uh, short story competition last year. And I am so bad with short stories, like actually cutting down um, instead of actually, you know, adding more stuff. Um, and after that, I mean, it was like, what, 2000 words, I think, max, which is nothing. And uh, after that, I was like, but actually, this could be a series now. And I can see this character doing this, no, and this, this, and this. No. And the whole notion of short stories, you, just you saying that fills me with absolute fear. Uh, yeah. You know, <laughs> I, I, we were saying earlier, weren't we, that I, I kind of write long and edit down. Uh, and, you know, I've, I've, been, I've, I've just been approached to write a short story of something that hopefully will 
will, will happen sort of next year and uh and I think the I think the word limit is to eight thousand words, and that absolutely oh, terrifies man. the life out of me. Yeah, because I, yeah. I I'm a bit verbose. You see, I like to talk a lot, and <laughs> so maybe it'll be good for me. <laughs> yeah, I think I think it's real skill though, short stories, because you kind of have to, as I've said uh, previously as well on, on other episodes, you kind of have to take all of that in your head and sort of I don't want to say compress it but kind of fit it into this really short format and still get out what you want to say and make sure that characters are well-rounded and stuff like that yeah Yeah. it really is scary (laughs) yeah 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 no I I need I need time to be able to do that word count chapters (laughs) chapters chapters (laughs) it's funny actually yeah like writing short stories ends up taking longer than like uh, getting a full-length novel out I think exactly as you said because you have to think about uh cutting down <laughs> i think that there's a there's a somebody i can't remember who it was somebody like oscar wilde or someone like that apparently once said i'm sorry this is such a long letter but i didn't have time to write a short one and i absolutely empathize with that you know writing a, a long letter is far easier than writing a short one yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah that's really true <laughs> yeah i mean well 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 done to all the short story writers out there absolutely brilliant i could never but yeah well done absolutely hats off <laughs> So, yeah, so I initially uh, came across your name on YouTube. I think it was 2019 or 2020. Um, I was up at 3 a.m. with a sinus infection, so I couldn't sleep. Um, So so basically saying I got up your nose. Is that what you're saying? No, no, no. Um, Yeah, I was feeling quite miserable and also really overwhelmed by the immense uh, complexity of the genre. I'd kind of, I don't want to say fallen into, but at that point, yes. Um, and desperate to write as accurately as possible. Um, although, as mm-hmm. I've since learned with you as well, the story and the, and the characters always come first. Um, so, yeah, so I, I found you around, around that time. And that literally, like, after watching, I don't even remember. I think it was with UK Crime Book Club. I don't remember. It was ages ago. Um, but, yeah, after watching that entire interview, because I couldn't sleep, um, I was so excited after that. And I just started making notes and, yeah, immediately opened a Word document and started plotting. Um, so yeah, so tell us a bit about what you do then as a police advisor and how your experience as a police officer led you to helping authors. Yeah, sure. So, so you know, as, as you touch on, I'm, I not only write books, but I also advise uh, uh, crime writers, both novelists and TV writers, uh, and and run courses for for crime writers and and deliver inputs into. Um, in, into kind of master's programs and that sort of thing on, on crime writing. And, and essentially, um, what, what I do is I, I, I help writers write the, the uh, an authentic and plausible world and characters and procedures so that their crime stories can, 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 can sort of take flight. So uh, it's not about writing, um, writing accuracy in, in policing. I think accurate policing is quite dull bureaucratic uh, and the, pe- the, the people that do it are not always the most interesting in the world but it's about creating creating a believable world where your reader can go yeah okay I you know I can buy into that world I can buy into that character and, and then that gives you a bit of a passport for some poetic license and I kind of got into it really I I um when I was still in the police I worked very closely with um a chap called Peter James who I'm sure a lot of people will know <laughs> as a as, as a, a brilliant crime writer and um, uh, and very very generous and active member of the crime writers community, so he he bases books in the city where I was the um, I, I was the, the police commander in Brighton and Hove in Sussex in the UK, 
Uh, and um, he would come in and we would sort of, you know, show him what procedures we were able to show him and certain things he wasn't allowed to see. Uh, and um, we got friendly, really, and uh, I left the police and then he was asked to write a non-fiction with the stories that inspired the Royal Grace novels. Uh, and um, he didn't think that he had the the voice or uh, well, uh, the right the voice or authenticity to do that. So he asked me, and I'd never considered being a writer at all. Um, so we wrote long story short about that. So we we, we ended up. I, he kind of took me through an apprenticeship of writing, really, and we published a book called Death Comes Knocking: Peace in Royal Grace's Brighton. And then during all the publicity for that, he told people that you know I'm I'm his crime advisor and work with him and so people started to come to me then and say well you know if you help Peter can you any chance you could give me a hand here that and it's <laughs> and it's kind of just developed really and I and I've now I've, I've lost count really but I must have worked with over 150 writers uh novelists plus tv companies uh and many many of them on a, on a returning basis and it's an absolute joy. I, you know, I, I kind of, and because I'm a writer myself, I'm able to apply a creative angle to to my advice as well as the the, the policing angle. So I'm I'm often kind of helping out with story and character development in a way that is more than me just going, yes, this would happen, no, that wouldn't happen. So um, yeah, so that that that's how I got into it really, and it, it's it's really is a full time job now. You know, I'm doing doing something related to it all day, every day, and writing books as, and writing books too. It really is. It's absolutely brilliant. Like I said, that's, that's sort of how I found you was uh, in sort of uh, doing research for my own books and obviously looking looking to be as accurate as possible without making it a sort of how-to manual. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. And yeah, and then I, you know, stumbled across um, your interview on uh, UK Crime Book Club um, and absolutely thought, wow, I need to go check out um, more of, of obviously their, their YouTube channel, but obviously more of what you've done and what you do. Um, and it took me about, I think, about a full year to actually gather up the courage to send you a message <laughs> on Instagram. Me, really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're joking. Why did it take you so long? No. Yeah, well, uh, it was, what, three years ago? I, I was very new to everything. Um not not necessarily writing, but uh, new to the whole community on Instagram, and I was just sort of beginning to explore uh, what p- the road to publishing would look like, and obviously research in the genre because I I had written before, but it was never really it was always crime, but it was never like this, right? So <laughs> um, yeah, and I think yeah, it's just you know obviously because for me it was a big a really big deal, and I think I've told you this before um, to actually have someone who can speak to to authors about policing and obviously crafting a novel around that and um you know what actually goes on um behind the scenes stuff that we don't see on the outside for me that was a really big thing and something i i think i'll always be grateful for because um yeah there's only like i said there's only so much that google can can teach you and as you and i've also spoken about in the past like watching tv shows and stuff the accuracy isn't always there and um, as you mentioned to me as well, you know there are there have been a lot of similar mistakes among authors when it comes to authenticity and accuracy because we're obviously following what we have. Um, but then to have someone like you come in, like I said, was was such a massive thing, um, at least for me. <laughs> yeah, that, that's really interesting because you know I literally I literally love what I do and love helping people out. And 
if I can be, you know, if I can just, just, you know, just, just help in a minute way, then, then my work is done. And, you know, it's, uh, yeah, it's interesting to hear you say that. And, and that was honestly, I think at the beginning for me as well, because I was so new in, uh, a new, new to everything, new to, to actually wanting to pursue writing professionally and uh, the community on Instagram, I was pretty much scared to message anyone um, at that point. I, I mean, <laughs> also, it was a couple of years ago, so I was, I was quite young, uh, or younger. <laughs> um, so yeah, so so for me, it was that really, I think. Um, and also just having an absolute passion for uh, the genre, but uh, TV shows as well. And uh, behind the scenes, it's going to sound really weird, but having a passion for policing as well, because that was something I wanted to go into after school. Um, and then obviously my love for film yeah. kind of took over and I thought, well, I can kind of use that in a fictional sense, um, crafting stories and all of that stuff. So yeah, so for me, it was it was more that I think um, that was the biggest thing. It was more like I was really in awe of you and I was like, gosh, okay, I don't know if I can send a message. Um, yeah, I don't know if that makes sense. <laughs> I suppose I suppose yeah I mean it, it it does make sense and I think we all get we all get anxious about you know if you if you were to make contact directly with an agent for example yeah. or with a publisher or with a prominent bookseller or something like that you go through all the same those same anxieties yeah um but you know I mean there are there are a few um egos in the business, but most most people are are are, are, are just human beings that want to that want to help out. So um, you know, I suppose the the risk, the chance to come across a, a an ego that will won't give you the time of day is quite remote. But but the same with anything, the expectation is often worse than the the than the actuation or like the actuality, isn't it? So. Um, you know, you think, oh god, shall I, shall I, shall I? And then you phone up <laughs> and you talk to me. You go, actually, actually they're yeah. all right. Just, yeah. just like me, yeah. really. Yeah, yeah, and that was that was me with everyone. I think like two years ago as well. I mean, even uh, someone like Heath who has become someone I speak to quite often. Um, even in the beginning, I'm like, gosh, he's published author. What, like, do I do I message him? Do I not? You know, it was stuff like that. I think in the beginning, yeah. when you're when you're yeah. really new to it, and you kind of feel like the you know tiny fish in a massive pond. Um, Mm. you feel kind of like you don't really want to step on people's toes or, uh, you know, bother people yeah. by asking questions. And it's, you know, I, I've just, I've just come back from uh crime fest, which is a, probably the first festival of the year. It's a big crime festival yeah. in Bristol. Uh, and, and it's kind of a mixture of writers uh, and readers there. And, and it, they're, they're just looking around. You see, you know, some really big name, authors just chatting away with readers just literally sitting in the bar over a coffee or at lunch just like chewing the cud with readers and then you realize actually yeah they're just in fact writers are quite lonely people because they spend all their time locked to their laptop so they're quite grateful for the conversation (laughs) so give them a ring you make their day they're just like a human being to talk to yeah definitely yeah no i definitely agree with that um and i think that's how it should be to be honest I, i i think you know we're all creative people um and again for me like when when I initially joined uh, the community on Instagram it was just so lovely to have uh, such a supportive and open uh, community you know people are open to talk about things and open to share like their their journeys and their experience and I think yeah I think that's how it should be um, because like you said we're, we're often just sitting alone writing <laughs> so yeah um, yeah so that's definitely um, definitely a good thing um, but yeah and then I I then found well the second time around um 
I then uh, spoke to Heath Gunn because at that point he had uh, published uh, No Remorse um, and we sort of had started talking because um, I'd read the book and left a review and we just kind of went from there. And then he mentioned that he'd uh, worked with you and obviously I thought, well, great, um, that's really cool and spoke about that and obviously then approached you as well um, myself, which was, yeah, it's been it's been a really great experience, I think, a really great learning experience as well. Um, so, so, yeah. So you mentioned that that, that you started uh, started helping, or, well, advising um, authors initially because you started with with Peter James, um, and then that grew from there. Which, yeah, I think I think is really great. Like I said, I think it's really brilliant to actually have someone who knows, um, you know, knows what us as authors are going through, and now you as well as as an author. Um, you know how difficult it is to actually find accurate and reliable research. Um, but yeah, how important is accuracy to you then uh, with your novels? I think I think um, I think authenticity is important. Okay, so uh, uh, only up only up here. If you if you flick to just before on the first page, you'll see on there that there is a disclaimer basically saying yeah, that yeah, whilst I have you read that? Yeah, so whilst yeah. I um, and uh, you know whilst I advise other authors, you know I've taken some liberties here. But I think that that goes to the point about authenticity over accuracy. So I, mm. I my my books aren't aren't as as is, uh, but they are as could be. So mm. uh, I mean, I, when I first well, one of my early drafts of um, Bad for Good, I was told by my agent that I had far too many police officers involved investigating this murder, uh, and I needed to cut them down by at least half, if not more. And I said, well, that's impossible because that's the number of people it does it does take to uh, to to um, investigate a murder and and uh, they said well no, no one cares no one cares you need to you need to focus in on your key characters um, give them dual roles if need be and allow the, the reader to be able to follow f- follow those people in their head and and, and that's absolutely right you know and I, I try to be too accurate rather than authentic so yes but for me. Um, it's about creating a world that, that that people can believe in, and I do take some liberties in my book around that. And certainly, um, because when I started writing Bad for Good, it was supposed to be uh, it, it was supposed to be set in the near future. It was almost like a cautionary tale, but I, I I moved on from that, and but but I still kept some of the structures, so I kind of changed some structures deliberately to show absolutely how bad things could be. Um, but I'm, uh, you know, I'm quite, I'm, I'm quite at ease with that. You know, I, I think I'm, and I have an, an advantage because I know, I know what sorts of things I need to get right, and what, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not guessing anything. But sometimes I'm, I'm making a, a conscious decision to, 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 to gloss over a procedure or, or compress a timeline, a forensic timeline, or something like that. But I'm, I'm as I say, I'm, I'm, because I've done the job before, I know. I know where I can do that and get away with that, um, but um, you know, I, I what I wouldn't whatever want was for a, a reader to pick up my books and go, "Well, that could never happen," or that character would never would never do that. I, I like you know, it has to be authentic and believable, and that's why I try and instill it in other writers. Yeah, yeah, definitely, I, I agree with that, and I also, um, as Heath and I said before, um, I think readers, you know, they're quite tuned in um and that they know quite a lot obviously about the genre that they're reading um 
and I think yeah I think for some of us um, as authors as well it's, it's really stressful <laughs> because you kind of don't know what they're gonna sort of pick apart and be like nah that would never happen or what they'll kind of just look at and be like eh, it's fine you know I'll kind of keep it within context of of the story as a whole yeah that, that that's that, that's right and it you know you do have to sometimes remind readers if they get too picky that it is a work of fiction yeah. um and but also you have to remind yourself that just because you know a procedure you found out a procedure or in my case you know a procedure uh, you don't have to spell every last line of it out on the page you know you to, mm. to know <laughs> to know for example that when somebody this is to the uk based but when somebody is arrested certain things happen to them before you can even get them to the interview room but they have to go they have to be sort of presented to a custody officer a custody sergeant who will approve their detention and then have their fingerprints and dna taken and then they might have their clothing taken they might speak to a solicitor to know that means that yeah you should never write a a scene where they're arrested and then seconds later they're in an interview room but instead, you 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 you'll just kind of have a you know you'll just leap time. So you you'll still go from arrest to interview, but you'll just you'll just leap time and you'll show the author that sort of show the reader that you you've moved you know t- times moves on a little bit because there's other stuff that's gone on without having to set all that out because that's quite dull. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I don't know. I find that quite okay. Obviously, maybe not in a book, but I find it quite interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Um, probably probably off the page uh, I'll be like oh that's cool that thing's happening but yeah obviously and that's yeah that's oh that's one of the notes you have for me in my initial draft was like we actually don't need to know all of this stuff um you know it's like too much research on the page yeah, which yeah, I, yeah, you know yeah, yeah yeah it makes complete sense now it makes sense yeah. a year ago I was like but how else am I gonna explain this thing <laughs> yeah <laughs> no that's right and, and you don't need to always you don't you don't just don't need to you just like you know yeah. okay this is Something else is happening in the meantime, and sometimes it's you know a technique is to just put another scene in, put put a you know they do it on a telly, don't they? When you, you, you're from, you're from a, a world of film, so you, you'll know you know to, to to share a passage of time, you just cut to another scene and then come back and yeah. the read the, the reader or the yeah, viewer's yeah. got in their mind that oh something's happened in the meantime, therefore we've we've moved on in time a little bit. Mm. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, yeah, as long as you. I think makes sense. Makes sense. Make sure that um, you know those sorts of in between bits are relevant. I think, um, yeah, then you're good to go. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And and again, I mean, we were talking about this before, weren't we? About making sure that every word in every sentence, every paragraph, in every scene, in every chapter, earns its place on the page, so that you're not, you know, so you're not just putting in scenes as fillers for that purpose, you know, just to show passage of time, but they're actually, they're actually driving a story and your character on, and that, and that keeps a nice kind of tight, compressed, pacey novel. You, you, you don't want to be fluffing things out. And I'm not talking about skipping on description or anything like that here. I'm talking about having a scene for the sake of it, uh, you know, just because, yeah, even if you really enjoyed writing that scene, it might be the best scene you've ever written, but if it doesn't, Earn itself place on the page, in, in, in into the waste basket. It must go. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> those things are difficult to cut out, though, aren't they? You kind of sit there and you think, but maybe if I spin it this way, it can stay. But it actually has no business being there. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and they being the ones that you know, with your agent or your publisher, you 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 argue to 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 your dying day on. But you know they're right. 
you know they're right. You know they go well. That's yeah. so and it, often it comes back as something. What, what is the point of this? Yeah. I think I think the hardest thing, and I don't know if you've had that, is is cutting out characters that you absolutely love, but you know that oh they could be used in another book or maybe they're not ne- like relevant to this book itself. Like yeah, I I don't know. For me, that's really difficult sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Because I think we invest ourselves in character, don't we? We we, we kind really of create do, yeah. them as our friends, and we not necessarily friends <laughs> that we like, but people that we you know, that, that we will empathise with. And then you realise, do you know what? The story can survive without them. But there is no, there's never a waste. And, you, you know, as you, as you said, you know, you can use them in another book. You can, you know, you, you can rehash them somewhere else. You know, it, it's, it's, you know, people do it all the time. And um, so just because you've created something in your mind and you love it and you put a lot of work it's to create a person, they, they might not work in this book, but, you know, just, just, Pop them in a, you know, pop them in a folder somewhere, and um, you know, make them appear next time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, they're never totally lost unless you absolutely have to kill them off. <laughs> um, yeah, but yeah, yeah, I guess you could always always use them um, for something else, <laughs> which is a, a lovely thing about actually uh, writing because you you never yeah. have to completely say goodbye, which is really nice. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, you you know you you kill them off. I mean, you look at you know one of the greatest books of our, you know, of our era and, and great films, The Godfather. Uh, you know, the, D- Don Corleone was, Don Corleone was killed off, wasn't he? Godfather 1. They made Godfather 2 and back he came. It was a prequel. You know, it was <laughs> inspired because it was so good. <laughs> Thank they didn't bring him back as a ghost. That would have been a stretch too far, I think, but. I think in crime fiction, if you were to hypothetically shoot someone in the head and they came back in the second book, you'd kind of be like, what? <laughs> Yeah, oh yeah. What happened? Yeah, yeah, yeah there, there are certain things. <laughs> yes, character had an identical <laughs> twin that we weren't aware of. <laughs> yeah, I think that's where it could maybe uh, suspend uh, disbelief a little bit yeah. too far. Yeah, no, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, there are limits. As I say, it's all about a world that your readers can buy into and there are some limits to that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever seen uh, Jed Mercurio, I think it was Jed Mercurio's uh, Bodyguard uh, the TV TV series with with Keely Hawes. Um yeah, when when she was killed off, uh, sorry, spoilers if anyone hasn't seen it, but when she was killed off, um, and it was a whole explosion, and you know, I thought maybe she's going to come back, but she didn't, because I just thought, how would they be able to pull that off <laughs> if she were to come back? <laughs> so yeah, I think there's there's a point, uh, but it's fun. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely, and, and there are. Lots of things that Jeb Mercurio gets away with that uh, others may not. <laughs> <laughs> I do love him. I think the least said about that, the better. All right, okay, well, maybe. Like. <laughs> That's why I said, yeah, I said I do love him. So, <laughs> uh, well, I don't know. For me, like for me, from the from the production aspect, I think he's brilliant. Um, All right, absolutely, absolutely. And um, I think he. I don't know if you've you've seen it, but there's a there was a six part. I think it was a six part. It's called Blue Lights, which was a police procedure. Oh yes, yeah. Oh my god, that was incredible! Absolutely it was, incredible. Yeah. I mean, I, I could watch it taking off my procedure advisor hat because it's based in Northern Ireland, and Northern Ireland have got completely different procedures mm. from England and Wales. So I could just enjoy it as a as a drama. But it's incredible, wasn't it? It was absolutely amazing, and uh, just his ability. I mean, it's, he's got this kind of ability, isn't he, to, to just. Just when you think things can't get any worse, he ramps it up yeah, again. Yeah, that yeah, throws it at you. Yeah, <laughs> and that's brilliant writing. 
So I know you started out writing nonfiction. Um, so you started with uh, Death Comes Knocking and then did Babes in the Wood and um, then transitioned to fiction thereafter. What drew you in about writing fiction and was the transition a difficult one to make? So I, I kind of, it just felt like a natural progression to me, really. I, I didn't, so I, I really enjoyed the writing, uh, the, the, the two um, the two non-fictions, although the second one was quite emotionally draining because of the subject matter. I really enjoyed, I really enjoyed the writing and, and kind of learned a lot about the writing. And it just felt like a, uh, I just felt compelled to, 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 to do something more creative and imaginative. So, um, yeah, just I just thought I'd, I'd, I'd give fiction a go. I, I, I kind of, you know, I, I played a little bit safe. They say, right, well, you know, and I think I took that to, to an extreme by writing, but, you know, my main character, the only difference between her and me, apart from some of her character traits, is that she's a woman and I'm not. Uh, but other than that, she's, you know, she was a former detective who, who became the divisional commander of Brighton and Hove, uh, a job that I did in the city that I worked. So I, I kind of, you know, I, 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 as I say, I took some, to, to, took the writing what you know to extremes there. But um, yeah, I just, I just had these kind of things dashing around in my head that I thought I want to, I want to write a book out of these. Uh, and writing nonfiction is really hard. I mean, writing fiction is hard because with nonfiction, you know, you have to be so fastidious with your research that uh, you, you you kind of you know you, you you have to remember sometimes that you're writing a book and not a not an academic paper um but writing fiction you know i, I could literally allow my imagination and i and i you know turns out i enjoy it much more than the, the non-fiction so it was it just felt like a natural progression you know i wanted to give it a go i had some stories buzzing around in my mind so i thought well why not mm. yeah yeah, I think that's really cool. Because um, I think, yeah, when, when I initially met you, um, you had been working on the first uh, fiction novel um, at that point. So before that, it had only been the two uh, non-fiction novels, which, um, by the way, are absolutely brilliant. I've, like, uh, made so many notes. <laughs> um, yeah, so I yeah, I was quite curious about the transition because obviously it is, it is different. Um, but I, I can say having just read your uh, debut novel bad for good which we're going to speak about in a minute um and reading it a second time you absolutely cannot tell that it's, it's your debut novel um it was really well written and yeah i think that's it's always such a treat it's always such a great thing especially for a debut novel so yeah really really well done thank you very much thank you and i, I mean it did take me seven years to write so uh, <laughs> seven seven uh, years well two seven years but uh, maybe because of the a, a certain amount of procrastination. I, I was writing non-fictions uh, as well, but so it's kind of like I started it seven years ago. I didn't really go in in, in sort of you know in, into full writing mode until um, until after I finished Babes in the Wood. But um, uh, yeah, it was a, it was a long hard slog, and uh, you know, and I learned a lot about the differences between non-fiction and fiction. But it's very kind of you to say that, and uh, you know, and let's hope like, um, let's hope I continue in that vein. So, yeah, so as I mentioned, your debut novel, uh, Bad for Good, released last year, June, I believe. But yeah, so the first chapter opens on a rather grim scene. Uh, we're launched right into the into an assault. Yes. Uh, that ends with our our poor our poor victim being hauled into a van. Um, and yeah, yeah, poor victim. I don't know about poor <laughs> victim. It's not, he's not a very nice person. 
Right, yeah, but if you've just come into it, <laughs> you know, obviously <laughs> you're going to feel for him. The way that he <laughs> he was, uh, yeah, smacked around and yeah, quite, yeah, I felt all of that. Um, it was, yeah, terrible. But very, and, and that's like I said, really well uh, described as well because I, I felt what he was going through. And by the time the van drove off, I was like, this poor guy. <laughs> <laughs> But then, yeah. obviously, as we learn later on, yeah, I'm not going to spoil it, but yeah, as as you were right in saying, poor victim, not so much. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, there, there aren't any good characters in that particular scene. <laughs> but I mean, and I think that's what's so great about it, because you you're still able to feel for them. And that, to me, is, that's the mark of a brilliant writer, especially in our genre, because how often can you actually generate sympathy for a character that should not be likable by any means um but they are they really are you you do end up feeling bad for them yeah yeah and, and it's you know it, the, the scene the scene was there to kind of introduce immediately the world of vigilantism uh that the the, the, the book kind of centers around really i mean there is another main storyline which is around the murder but uh, the vigilantism is that is 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 the sort of what pulls the, the the story through, um, and you kind of yes, the, the the person who is is attacked is you know has done some very bad things, but yeah, I tried to show that he is kind of you know it's his judgment day and he's feeling very very exposed, obviously very victimised and very wronged, and, and you know obviously quite badly injured as well, uh, uh, you know yeah. as, as as part of that. And it's um, it's kind of you know for, for, for me it was important to sort of show that you know sometimes there are scales of 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 good and evil, uh, and sometimes people you know people are generally always one or the other. They are you know that they they are um, you know that they, they good people do evil things, um, and you know bad people do do very good things too. So. You know, it's kind of it's, it, it's sort of shut down the balance. But um, yeah, well, I wanted to start the book with a shock, so that's what I did. <laughs> well, I mean, it was really effective. Um, so yeah, so we so we open on that scene, and then shortly afterwards, um, we are introduced to our lovely main. Well, I don't want to say main. Yeah, well, essentially, yeah, main character. So we've we've got Joe and we've got Phil and Phil's family. Um, and immediately, as I've said again, definitely on the on the emotional side with what he's been going through with his wife who's sick, and um, despite having both this this world around him that feels comfortable, he's immediately thrown into something that's unfamiliar territory territory for him as a father obviously uh when a son is is murdered um and and as a police officer for him obviously he has dealt with stuff like this before but when it really hits home for him his entire world is completely thrown uh, up turned upside down um so why do you decide that this was the story you needed to tell i think i mean it goes back to this point about you know putting people in roles that they're not comfortable with uh and you know with, with phil you know, his life's been quite good for him. You know, he's, I mean, his wife is very sick and he's struggling with that. Um, and he is struggling with that and he's feeling very bad. But work is his escape and he's very used to dealing with, with death and tragedy and violent death and tragedy. And then suddenly the boot's on the other foot. And uh, the, I don't know, I mean, there's, there's, these aren't spoilers. Please don't worry about it. But the, the, the death message scene 
when Joe gives him, basically tells him um, that that Harris died. You know that that was written from probably twenty or so encounters where I've had where I've had to give death messages to people, uh, and you kind of and I rewrote that scene dozens of times because how would he react? How would he react? You know he's you know most people have a very strong reaction of either denial or anger or blame. You know, I've been attacked when I've been given death when I've given death messages before, not because, you know, not only, only because people want the message to go away and and you're the kind of you you're you're the, the thing in reach that can that can do that. So I read yeah, and I really wanted and I wanted Joe to be very much empathetic to what he was what he was going, you know, what what he was going through, and kind of making it really clear to him. No, you know, you've got to believe this. You, you know, this is, you, you know, you can you can say that you need to see him. You can question whether we're sure, all of that. But but kind of you know, as well as I do, that we don't come and give these messages for no reason. And it, so it's a really really emotive scene to write, and it was quite a tense scene as well because you know it's. It's revealed quite early in the book that they they've got a romantic past, and you know Phil actually had had an affair with her when he was um, when he, he was married. In fact, and his sons were young, and she she was just a young DC, and and it had all gone horribly wrong. Um, so, but there was still that tenderness there between them, and I think I put I put at one point, you know, he he'd broken her heart once, but there, it was nothing to to what she was about to do to him, but she was literally about to go and tell him, and that was. Yeah, that that was really kind of uh, you know I, I that's written from the heart. That. Yeah, yeah. I think gosh, yeah. That scene for me as well was gosh. I had to actually stop because <laughs> I was I was so invested in that scene, and I realised like you know obviously given their history as well, and that's exactly as you've mentioned now. I think it was absolutely right for her to be the one to have delivered the message, um, but at the same time understanding that in the same in the same vein, her you know knowing their history and knowing what they've been through I think for her as well must have been really really difficult so it's there's two aspects to it it's not just her going as a friend um or or as a colleague as well uh delivering a message like this but also given what they've been through um like you said he would know that this is not just something small and that it really has happened yeah 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 it is so all about all of those kind of emotions and of course I mean you, you you sort of you know asked earlier about about authenticity and, uh, and accuracy, and, and I kind of, you know, as I said about yeah, you sometimes you have to take a, a you have to take a bit of a leap, uh, and you know, technically speaking, should she be investigating the murder? Is the you know her ex lover's murder? Um, well, no, she shouldn't. Um, uh, but but the the fact is that as far as she was aware, nobody knew about it. It's not quite the case, but she, as far as she was aware, nobody knew about it. And, and two. Um, I needed her to do that, so that's why she did it. But I kind of, but I gave a nod to that. I gave a nod to it that you know she knew that it's just maybe she was too close, uh, but she was going to do it anyway, just to show that, um, just to show that I I knew that it wasn't something that would happen, you know, as a matter of course. I'm really glad that you've kept her the, uh, on that because that for me is just way more interesting <laughs> than yeah. having someone else do it because yeah. she knows the history and I'm like, ooh, what's going to happen? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, and she's got this. You know, because she hasn't even told her husband who she met long after the affair had finished. Yeah, so yeah, exactly. she's got that yeah. secret to keep as well. 
Yeah, so very, very good. And then obviously, you know, he has to deal with the fact that his son has died, his wife is sick. Um, obviously, Kyle, Kyle's going through things of his own now, um, which, you know, there's just so, so much to deal with. And, and he obviously can't be involved as much as he'd like to be involved. And, um, you know, he doesn't really believe, especially in the beginning, he doesn't really believe that after three days into the inquiry, they, they don't have anything. Um, yeah. Up until that crucial moment, obviously, where things start to happen, at that point, he's kind of just thinking, how how can they not have anything, you know? Um, so, yeah, so it's really, it's really, really well written. And I think as well, from a parent's perspective, and that's something I had to learn when writing my own book, as you pointed out, <laughs> um, you know, the, the, the grief is really deep. And uh, oftentimes, you know, people experience and process grief differently. Um, and you really, really did a very good job at showing that. But also how his relationships began to... Uh, to unfold, but also to sort of deteriorate um, over the length of, of the novel, um, not only with his family, but also with his colleagues, because, yeah, he essentially feels like he doesn't really have control, um, which was really well done. Thank you. And, and that, that was really important because he's, you know, he's somebody he's used to being in control. Um, and it was one of those things where, you know, he, it was his kind of, it was the parent versus the cop inside of him conniding, and the and the parent won. And people do, you know, why haven't you, why haven't you found anything? You know, what, what, you know, what's holding you up? What are you doing? You know, have you done this? Have you done that? Have you done the other? And particularly if they've got knowledge, you know, they're very, very, you know, and you can't criticise people for that. But with with him, he he kind of sometimes he's he, he's plays the part of a parent. Sometimes he this I mean over he plays the part of a parent. Sometimes he uses his rank and his position to to push things forward. And, you know, it all goes horribly wrong for him, uh, as you'd expect. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I think I'm, I'm also really interested in just his relationship with, with other characters, but also I think with Joe, because Joe's, you know, she's got a lot um, on her plate um, dealing with him, but also dealing with, with the investigation and, uh, you know, trying to ensure that, that things aren't interpreted um, the wrong way, but that... I think yeah I think like what I got from her was that it was really difficult to to not treat this as someone who's close to her you know that person's son has died but she has to still treat it as it deserves to be treated you know um as as another case and she can't obviously uh prioritize things if, if that makes sense that's kind of what I got from her as well yeah yeah no that that, that that's right and, and she did she, you know she's almost sort of saying well you know you taught me how to investigate these things and I need to do it properly and and you know method you know with the right methodology and not just you know not just leap around as, as you'd have me do and that that's kind of the message there so she needs to make sure that she's she, you know she's she remains professional even when he can't yeah yeah exactly and and there's that pressure to sort of not only get it right but also ensure that the person responsible was was found um and I think that's that must that must have been immense pressure, obviously, because it's someone you know, it's someone that you were close with, and you now have to try and put all the pieces together on a timeline as well. You know where you know obviously there is a time limit, um, and he's expecting things, and his entire world is completely shattered, and she needs to deliver. And exactly, yeah, yeah. I think it's really, really, really difficult. So I, I love her, absolutely love her. Um, you know, with all her mistakes. And everything that goes wrong, um, I do think she's absolutely brilliant. And uh, yeah, in book two, we we obviously get to see a bit more of that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, and you know, with, with book two, what, what I've done because I put her through hell, then I book one. I mean, she's 
you know, how's anyone ever going to come out of that? But we booked two, so we booked two. I, I wanted, didn't want it to come out, come into book two with no scars at all from book one. So I, I actually worked with a um, clinical psychologist who's a, uh, who's also a, um, uh, a crime novelist called Dr. Chris Merritt, uh, and he helped me. He helped me just kind of seed in little aspects of her behaviour and her personality that have changed as a result. So not we're not going full PTSD, but we're going, you know, some avoidance, bit of alcohol reliance, um, so some some kind of snappiness here and there, and that sort of thing. So I'm deliberately just trying to ramping up her own anxieties and mental health issues mm. um, because of what she went through in book one. And I think that's really important what you mentioned there because... Um as I've said as well to to another author, was the fact that, yeah, there's you get your sort of like cliched uh, detective who's always drunk and always late for work and always kind of messing up and, and never meeting deadlines or never actually doing what they're meant to be doing, but still somehow, still somehow getting promoted and still somehow, you know, managing to pull through and, you know, their boss is fed up with them, but they don't really care. Um, I think, yeah, obviously that's, that's a whole thing in its own but I think what what I really loved as well about Joe is that you didn't do that with her when you had every reason to to put her through stuff like that or to make her that kind of character you didn't um which I really appreciate because I've read so many books where the, the characters end up being completely hardened and yeah drunk and you know um however and I think that's what's so great is you do mention obviously this is going to have an effect on her um, because no one person can go through what she's gone through or what they've all gone through and come out the other end completely sunshine and rainbows, um, which is really good. No, that uh, that that's that's really you know I'm glad that came across because you know it is one of my pet hates too. You know where, where you get these kind of these hardened cynical cops. I mean some of the best police officers that I've known that have you know, had mental health crises are the ones that, you know, that you just think, God, oh, they've got it all together. You know, they're fine. They're great. They, you know, they, they cope with all this and then something happens and then they, they then they snap. They don't all become a great, you know, they, they, they don't all become sort of the, these kind of cliched sort of a suit of armoured <laughs> sort of robo cops that you, you'd expect, you know, they, they're fighting their own internal battles, but externally they're really trying to, um, uh, they're, they're, they're really trying to sort of give a, you know, to give give the best of themselves really for the job that they they still love. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think also with her, obviously, like we have seen uh, the darker side of her. We have seen, you know, what what's behind the curtain and the kind of things that she has to to essentially bring home with her. Um, but how important do you think it was for you as well uh, when initially crafting her? Um, maybe not where she is now but in the beginning to sort of have that line sort of have that boundary to not really bring things home with her but then essentially they obviously do bleed into her her life and her marriage as well as we know yeah i, I wanted her to be i wanted her to be a very strong but slightly um slightly insecure uh police officer when I mean, she's a senior leader she's got a lot of lot on her plate uh, but I wanted her to be very empathetic towards towards her staff and to the public, uh, and, and and I wanted her to be somebody that loved her home life. You know, she's got she's got a husband, she's got two boys that she absolutely adores. She's trying to juggle her home life with her professional life, and I took a lot of advice from from some former senior women police officers because I I've obviously done the job as a 
as a bloke, but I've never done it as a woman. And, you know, they were telling me about, you know, the internal battles that women have uh, in, you know, am I good enough mum? Am I good enough police officer? You know, am I good, you know, just this kind of, and it's not always external, it's sometimes it's internal, these battles. So I wanted all of that to come across and I wanted her to, to have imposter syndrome as well. You know, I mean, I, 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 I suffered and still suffer from imposter syndrome all the time. And yeah, and, uh, you know, I think it's a, you know, it's it's a natural state with, you know, people that care and people that kind of, you know, want to work hard and do the best thing. So I wanted her to have that, you know, she just feels that she's not up to it. She's going to be found out, you know, there's a scene where her, her journalist husband, as you say, is a journalist, tells her that, you know, it's basically, you know, don't worry about the newspaper, it's fish and chip paper tomorrow, you know, don't worry about it. But she's, she takes it all very much to heart. And I think that's, that's definitely the character I wanted. I mean, it's, you know, obviously, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not a woman, but there's a lot of that in, of, of me in, in, in her. It's not autobiographical at all, but there is, you know, I've drawn on, on a lot of that. So um, it, it's one of those things that I was absolutely sure that I wanted as part of her, her personality is to be, is to be like that. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's definitely come across. And like I said, I really, I really do love her. Um, I feel well obviously really excited to see how how she grows and progresses um and yeah and and sort of bridging that gap between book one and, and two um to see how things have changed for her uh, obviously not giving away spoilers but yeah it really things changed in a big way um and the way that she dealt with that i, I feel is is absolutely as human i mean you know i i feel sometimes that a lot of uh people I'm saying people, not writers specifically, but people feel that police officers sometimes can be seen as superheroes and that nothing sort of gets to them because they're kind of hard and, uh, you know, but things actually behind the scenes, you're still human and things still do affect you. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and we all take stuff home with us. We, you kind of, you know, at work, you have to be very much on the, um, you know, I always say to people that, you know, if the police aren't going to fix fix problems, who is going to fix them? So you have to be professional. And you, but you do take stuff, you know, you, you do take stuff home with you. And, and, you know, sometimes that comes out in different ways. So uh, speaking of your, uh, your career as a police officer, um, were there any specific aspects uh, of that that influenced your writing and research as a crime author? Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, hugely. I, I, I was very. Uh, I, I, I really wanted to um, demonstrate the, the the humanity of policing, uh, and, and also some of the humour of policing as well. So, um, you know, we, we've got um, we've we've got Bob Heaton, who's a who's a DI. Um, he's he's a bit he's a bit sort of ramshackle. You know, <laughs> he looks like he's been pulled through the hedge backwards. Um, he sometimes he's over deferential, but you know behind that he's absolutely brilliant. You know he's he's not Columbo, but he's that kind of you know you not you don't expect him to be as good as he is. Um, and you know certainly in book two I developed him quite a bit because I I grew it, I fell in love with him. And that, you know he has a part of his character. I won't spoil it. He has a part of his character that you won't you wouldn't immediately guess, but you find out halfway through book one. Uh, and, and you know he, he's one of those people that you. You just kind of you just see policing from a different side, you know. You just see that, you know, he's got a, you know he's got an edge to him, but he's also he's also a lovely fellow and a very funny fellow too. And uh, you know that that's really important for me to, for me to show. Obviously, 
in bad for good, I wanted to show how stretched the police were. That's part of the the, the, the premise of the book. You know, the police are so stretched, the vigilantism takes over. Uh, and that, you know, uh, most of the really good stuff happens, is, is, is done by uniform officers. You know, I, I get fed up with reading in books how dumb uniform officers are made to appear alongside their detective colleagues uh, mm. and, and how they... Um, how they, they, they're kind of, you know, they're treated as second-class citizens. Well, you know, uniform officers are the hardest-working, bravest, most innovative cops on the ground, you know. So, you know, what, why would you... So I, I tried to show policing in its true light, but in a dramatic sense. Mm. Yeah, and that, yeah, I really do appreciate that. And I think, yeah, like I said, it's really well done. And you kind of, you make sure that every single character is relevant and they have they have an impact on on the greatest story and i think that is really important because if you were to take any one of them out that would impact the story with them not being there yeah no that, absolutely and there were a number i did take out because they didn't have that effect so you know it's about everybody having having to earn their place on the page yeah exactly <laughs> you need to pay rent <laughs> if you're exactly, not paying rent yeah, then exactly. yeah, just leave <laughs> you know that's a great that's a great expression i love that expression you know, you've got to be paying your rent yeah. <laughs> I won't yeah, I won't use it. I'll leave that for you to use. <laughs> <laughs> I've always said if my characters aren't paying rent in my head, then they have no business being there. <laughs> Good darling. I think that's great. I think that's great. Well, yeah, thank you so much for, for joining me for episode six at uh, seven. Seven. Episode seven, <laughs> yeah. yes. Yeah, you're running away with you. Yeah. Yeah, you realise it. <laughs> oh, gosh, yeah, it's crazy. Um but yeah, thank you so so much. It's an absolute big honour to have you. Um not only as, as someone that I've worked with before, um, but as someone who has done all these incredible things and obviously written two amazing uh, crime fiction novels. So yeah, so I'll definitely do reviews on that. But yeah, thank you so much for those. And thank you again, um, yeah, for coming on tonight. Um, so what, what are your plans um, after this? Oh, no, Sam, thank you so much. I really enjoyed it. I mean, I'm, I'm doing I'm doing loads of festivals this year, which is really exciting. So I'm doing a Bradford Literary Festival in June, Harrogate in, Harrogate in July, we're doing, um, so I'm sharing a panel there, but also we're setting up a, a, an interview room where, where anyone can come along and have their go interviewing a, a potential, a suspected murderer. So we're going to have it all set up as a police interview room uh, and uh, people can come along and book to that. So I'm doing that, I'm doing bloody Scotland in Stirling in uh, August. No, when's that? September? August? I can't remember. September. And hopefully I'm doing Capital Crime in London too. So yeah, there's loads. It's such a busy city. But I love it. And also, I'm going to try and write more books. Yes, please. Please do. Please don't stop. <laughs> and then, yeah, I look forward to more updates and hearing about book three um, as soon as, as you're ready um, to discuss that. It would be great. Great as well. Thank you. No, really enjoyed it. Thank you very much, Sam. <laughs>